We're in a studio. I know. This We're is, fancy. We are. We're this, fancy today. This is this is nice. We've only done this once before. No. First was with Leanne and Bert. Right. And then the second time was in Auburn, Alabama. Yeah. And now this is the third time. We're going to try something new. We're, we're trying this. We're going to try this studio. And I think we're going to try this more often now, right? Like, Yeah. In addition to sampling breweries and food places <laughs> and stores, we're going to start sampling studios all over America. I, think I like it. I think that's smart because then we don't have to carry our equipment with us. We are learning things as we go. And we are a year in and you would have thought... This would have come to us much sooner. We are learning that we are tired. And some of that exhaustion comes from the fact that while all of this is going on, we are still parents and children. So we are going to talk about that today. Today, we are talking about parenting your parents. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Hey, listeners. Ever wonder what it would be like to blow up your comfort zone at the tender age of 50? Well, we did just that. When our last kid went off to college, we hit the road in search of a new hometown. Now we bounce from city to city and bring you along for the ride. This is the Skip Town All-Stars podcast. Welcome back, All-Stars, to a very special edition of Skip Town All-Stars. We are in New Haven, Connecticut. We are at the studio of our new friend, Chris Elliott. He is the proprietor of Freestyle Gospel LLC. It's a studio we've rented today. Chris has been gracious enough to allow us to come into the space today and get us set up for success. Yeah, this is, we're so happy. And uh, and he's actually playing engineer. He is. (laughs) We actually have a tech behind the scenes right now. Hi, Chris. (laughs) anyway uh we are talking about a very special episode today that we have not really touched on too much in the past 60 episodes but we felt it was important because it's becoming an ever-present thing for lack of a better word in our lives right now during the last year We have been more than happy to share with you our travels, our adventures, uh, popping in and out of restaurants, popping in and out of unique sort of uh, tours and expeditions and hiking trails and all that. But one thing that we have not really touched on that much, aside from parenting our adult children, is the fact that we are in a space now that some of you may already be in. And every one of you will eventually be in. And that is a situation in your midlife. I guess that's where we are. Yeah. Or your adult life. Yeah. Where you are parenting your own parents. So why don't you sort of set the backdrop for us? You know, I haven't really, we talk about our kids quite a bit, but I haven't shared really anything about my mother who's 97 years old and still living with us. My father passed away when he was 92 and that was about 10 years ago. So um, starting the podcast has been mainly focused on how we did it, you know, left our life in LA and decided to look for a new home. And we've shared all the ins and outs. I mean, the food adventures, gaining weight on the road, the car troubles, everything. But the one thing that we haven't shared uh, is uh, my mother and I don't know why. I mean, I'm kind of a private person. I think I know it's funny. We do a podcast. We're on social media, but I am kind of a private person when it comes to that. And I don't talk a lot about things that are happening in my life unless it gets to a point where everyone sort of needs to know. So I felt like since we're sharing all of our travel adventures with you and telling you the ins and outs of how we're doing that, we probably should talk about the ins and outs of being on the road, but also having the responsibility of having a parent at home who's not well or ailing or aging. In my case, my mom is aging. Uh, There's no ailment other than old age. And we've decided to start hospice for her. On one hand, it's something I think you can say you've prepared yourself for. Like for the entire time I've known you, your mother's been elderly. It is true. And you can say you're preparing yourself, but everybody knows and everybody will say this, that there's no way you can truly be prepared for what's coming. And uh, first off, I think I can speak for us and our listeners that we really feel for you and what you're going through right now. Thank you. Um, And secondly, it's, it's really been a 
an undercurrent in our adventures this past year. And increasingly, you have been on the phone a little more and dealing with, you know, the care for your mother a little more. And so it really has reached a surface in our lives right now where, you know, I think it's great that we're finally like talking about this. Thanks. Well, you know, I feel like if I can lend some information, it's just the way I'm handling it. Maybe it will help a listener, our listeners, because some people might be at the same stage I'm in. Others may not have it for 10 more years, but just to share how the family dynamics are with an aging parent. When I say family, I don't mean my daughters and James and I, I'm talking about my siblings, like how we're all handling the situation. How does money come into play? Who's the one that's going to take care of her toward the end? Uh, again, I just feel like we share everything else. So maybe something like this that's happening in my life could find a place for you and yours and where you are. Uh, James has a little bit of a different situation because both of his parents are deceased. Yeah. And when they passed away, it was very sudden for both of them. So um, he is seeing this with a different set of eyes. Yeah, I am. I uh, My father passed away when I was much, I was in my 30s. That was very sudden in one regard, not surprising given his health profile, but at the same time, uh, it happened overnight. I mean, it just- He had a heart attack. Yeah, he had a heart attack. And one morning I woke up and my dad was gone. And uh, that was a very somewhat different situation. My mother actually also- sort of happened quickly, but over the period of two months. So she went from a phone call every week. Hi, mom. How are you sitting in L.A. traffic to all of a sudden I can't reach her because she's, you know, she's in a hospital and, uh, you know, hooked up to machines and all that. So it she was in and out of the hospital for probably what, like a month. And then the last time she was in the hospital, I think was two weeks. And that's when she passes out. Correct. I mean, I'm remembering it because it happened how many years ago now? Uh, it's been five years yeah. now. So it was a situation where uh, her health had reached a point where there was no turning back. And then once she sort of started going down that slope, it was a fast slope. So there was no preparation really. Not really, because at the same time, Parker was graduating. Parker graduated the same day that my mother was taken off of uh, resuscitation. So that was a very weird day for me. And oh, and we didn't tell anybody. No, like, we your didn't. Your mom died, and we didn't tell the kids or any. We had 100 people in our backyard for a graduation party, and no one knew your mom died. Yeah. and It was the, insane. It was insane. I didn't want the day to become about me, and... My mother was kind of removed from our children's lives anyway, because, you know, we, we talked about small town mentality and how people never leave or never want to come visit or what have you. And she was around uh, here and there. But the bottom line was it wasn't a situation. It was a situation where if anybody was going to feel bad, they were going to feel bad for me on Parker's big day. And I didn't want that. And so and I felt so bad for you that you were holding that inside the entire day. I felt so bad for you. I think what gave me a lot of peace was knowing that my mother knew, like my mother would approve of the way I handled it. And that was, that gave me a lot of reassurance. And it was tough at moments to put on a, a shiny, happy face. But I'm, in the end, I'm happy I did it. And the kids were surprised the next morning. And, you know, we, like, I had to tell them at some point, hey, your grandmother has passed away and I'm going to be leaving this week. So, uh, it gave Parker her moment, and I, I think that's the way my mom would have wanted it, you know? Yeah. So uh, I think you're right. She probably would have. Yeah. But ultimately, what that leaves us with is I've never had to be in the spot where you are now. I will certainly say in my adult life, I, I guess in some respects, what we're going to talk about today is parenting your parents can often mean you're dealing with the mistakes they've made in their lives. Wow. And I did have to do a lot of that, especially with my mom, not so much with my dad. My dad was a very private guy and it wasn't really until he passed away and I was in his house that I sort of got a full picture of how he was living. Um, he, 
I would call him and say, hey, do you need this? Do you need any help? Let me do this for you. Let me do that for you. And he was always very stoic, Scottish guy. No, no, no. Um, nice guy, very happy, very jovial. And I think in some ways, a lot like me, or I'm a lot like him. Puts on a happy face when he's not necessarily feeling that way. So uh, I, it wasn't until I, my father had already passed that I had to parent my father. <laughs> and so oh, wow. uh, I had to, I had to dig through every scrap of paper in his messy house to look for an insurance policy mm -hmm. or some sort of anything. It wasn't really about inheritance because I knew my dad was of small means and I wasn't expecting anything. It, it wasn't really about that at all. Uh, but what it was about was, is there a plan in place for his funeral expenses? And was there any sort of, you know, legacy items in the house. For me, I was looking for his Eagle Scout photo in the sure. newspaper and his scout badges and various things that he had, like he he was a welder for 30 years and he was on the welding company's, uh, the welding uh, factory's baseball team. So I wanted his baseball jersey. I wanted his hat, things like that. Um, but in and of that, I had to dig through tons and tons of stuff. I mean, I swear to God, the guy never threw away anything. So He's like someone else I know. Uh, and so uh, that's not true. I threw away everything Stop in LA right to move. Okay. I have one bucket of cables. That's it. Just okay. give me my bucket of cables. He collected 21 years of papers and then finally threw them away. I did. And so what uh, my situation was with my dad was dramatically different with my mother because my mother had, you know, she was married to my stepfather and throughout that whole process, uh, you know, she, when she finally left her house for the last time, there were sort of boots on the ground that could take care of her funeral and what have you. Um, yeah. I mean, you skipped the part where you actually, you personally took care of your father's funeral because there was no plan in place. And these are things that yeah, that's true. you have to think about. I mean, when that person passes, who's paying for it? It is, it's a hard decision to have. It's a $20,000 cost easily, yeah. easily. So who's going to pay for it if there isn't a plan in place? And sometimes you don't know there isn't a plan in place until it's you're at that you're at the funeral parlor. That's true. That's very true. Even with my mother, I mean, there were funeral arrangements in place, but ultimately I had to end up buying her tombstone because nobody was taking care of it. Nobody was stepping up to do that. And uh, finally, some family members came to me, but the wheels were already in motion. And I, you know, I had already figured that part out, but she had been laid to rest for over a year mm -hmm. and nothing was happening on, on the front of, you know, giving her a memorial or a marker. So ultimately I had to step up for that too. I would say my parenting, my parent though, with my mother was a much different situation. I had to do that like the last 10, 15 years of her life. I would say, no, that's a bad idea. Or maybe you should, you know, find something to occupy your time, get a part-time job, do this, do that. There were different things in her life where I just felt like she sort of had too much time on her hands to whip up drama with people. And that's just kind of who she was. I think she absorbed too many soap operas in the seventies and eighties, but, um, but you were fortunate in the sense that you, when your mother passed, it wasn't all on your shoulders it like wasn't. it was with your father. When your father passed, it was you were solo. I mean, well, you had your uncles to help you, but financially, you were the one footing most of the bill. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I did have an uncle who stepped up and actually bought the marker for my dad, uh, which was a tremendous gift at the time because I was paying for all the funeral expenses on my own. That's sort of my backstory, and we've touched on it in previous episodes, but that's sort of the deal with my parents. I'm an orphan, and I've been an orphan for five years now. And even before I was an orphan, I sort of felt like I was the one in charge. So your situation is dramatically different, though. Your father passed away when? 2013, because right. it's been about 10 years. Um, you know, you mentioned something early on that you, when you met my mom, she was always old. And that's because my mom had me when she was 40. I said elderly. <laughs> I was much more genteel than what you're saying right now. Okay, but... To be clear, my mom had me when she was 44 years old. Yeah. So when you met my mom, I was 27. So she was... They were retired. Yeah, they were living they were, in Florida already. My dad was 50. So just let's 
let's be clear. Like when he met me, my dad was 77. Yeah. Your dad was 50 when he and your mother had you. Exactly. Yeah. My dad, didn't I say that right? Well, you said he was 50, but, uh, I didn't but we're talking about sentence. when I met them. Yeah. yeah. So, so when my, when James met me, uh, my dad was 77 and my mom was 72. Yeah. So, uh, so he's right. They were. And even though they were very, very active, they were still in their 70s. Oh, and incidentally, that is why, like, I think a lot of people don't understand why your brother's living in a retirement community is because your parents are so much older than you. You had brothers who were like 18, 19, 20 years old when you were born. It's true. Yeah. So I just want to make that clear. And so it's always been very clear from the beginning when he met me and with my family that I would be the one to care for my parents as they aged because of my age alone. My brothers yeah. are almost 20 years older than me. So I'm clearly the youngest person in the family and the last born. So in some cultures, I know the firstborn takes care of them, but it was always kind of understood that I would take care of my parents. So with that being said, uh, you know, I did my best always. We built a little guest house and we called it the grandparents' house. And yeah. we had them come for like three months at a time to stay with us in California so they could get to know the kids and spend a lot of time with them. They were yeah. always present. They were at every single birth. They, they as, were. At their age, they traveled very well. Uh, they were very efficient on their travel. Uh, they knew the ins and outs of the airport. So it was really lovely. They would come two to three times a year, easily, yeah. easily. They'd come for Christmas, they'd come for sometimes, I think they came for 4th of July, and then they started staying with us for longer periods because we had the guest house. Well, uh, the, the other thing I should mention is when we first bought our house, your dad, at whatever age he was at that point, probably 80 years old. Yeah, he was 80. He was out like laying concrete in our backyard. Yeah, he was. Like he was patching the ramp that led into the garage. So yeah. And then he got really mad because it was sand instead of cement. And then he was cursing it. And then he had to go in yeah. and then I had to have you calm him down and go back and get concrete. <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't a guy sitting around watching football or Archie Bunker all day. He was very active. He was a thin guy, very tall guy. And he grabbed the bull by the horns at whatever age he was. Yeah. And uh, they were both extremely involved in our kids. My mom couldn't like, you know, she's 80, so she's not going to like get down on the ground and, and play with them on the floor, but she would certainly cook for them all day. She would do crafts with them at the table if that's what they wanted to do. So she was, she was very much a hands-on grandma when she was there. She would also spend entire days at little stores oh. buying them sort of remember the one dress she bought Parker no, for she made us go to the Glendale Galleria back then it was 400 miles of shopping and we had to hit every store until she found that one dress uh -huh. that she saw when she was there two weeks ago, but couldn't remember what store it yeah, was. Yeah, I got home from work that day and uh, you guys had her in that dress and the little hat and she looked like an Armenian princess. Uh-huh, she did. So funny. Yep. It was like ruffles <laughs> and satin everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously your parents were very involved in our lives up until a point where your father couldn't travel anymore. It's true. So then I had to make several trips to him. Now... Growing up, I had had my fair share of interactions with people who would lament over the fact that they couldn't see their family, their mother or their father, who maybe lived a state away or two states away or even four hours away. And I just remember as a young person that I said that was never going to be me. I didn't care how far away I lived. I would always make a point of visiting my parents. There was no excuse. But with that being said, I had a different relationship with my parents than my friends did. So- they may talk about, oh, I just, I can't go and see my mom next week. She's not well, but I just don't have the money. That was never an answer for me because I would work two jobs to go see my parents if I had to. Like it was just whatever it took, but I had a different relationship. I was really close to my parents. They were really good parents. They were. I always made that a priority that when my dad and mom needed me, I would be there. And my dad got sick and couldn't, um, travel much to California anymore. And he didn't get sick from any ailment. He was just getting old. I mean, he died at 92. So I think yeah. they stopped traveling at 90. He stopped traveling. So I would go back and forth to see them. They lived in Florida. We lived in California and I would make like four or five trips a yeah, year. It couldn't have been any much further apart, right? I, yeah. I guess New York, but yeah, yeah, it was pretty far. So I would go back and forth. Like I said, I made four or five trips a year to see them. 
And then sometimes you would go on your own to see them. Yeah, I went to see your father. Uh, your father's a special case. I mean, we're talking a World War II veteran, an ex-Chicago detective, uh, tough as nails, known as a badass everywhere that he went when he was young in the city of Chicago. Yeah, and the reputation precedes him. His reputation preceded him, but he lived up to it even until the time he was like 90, 92. There was a time in the hospital where he fell, he broke a hip and then broke a shoulder in the same week. Uh, he was in the hospital with a broken hip, right? I, I was crying. He told me to And then stop he broke crying. a shoulder. Uh -huh. And you know, once a parent goes into the hospital a lot of times or in reha a rehab treatment facility. He actually didn't break a hip. I'm sorry. He broke two ribs and a shoulder. Oh, he broke two ribs yeah. and a shoulder. Oh, but then bad. he fell while he was in that, the hospital. That was when he broke two ribs and a shoulder. Okay. Yeah. It was and bad. so what? he was in there for something and then he broke something else. And yep. He was in there we, for something and broke two ribs and a shoulder. You're so right. And Ugh. at that point, I I said, okay, I've got to get on a plane and go visit this man because he's been so instrumental in helping us as a family and helping your parent. I mean, your dad sent me a $500 check for a laptop to get started with my career at a time where you were just dating me and he didn't even know me. He hadn't even met you. No. He hadn't even met you. Thankfully, he knew I had a job and a car and the bar was low. So he okay. knew I was a good person. <laughs> Some of the people I dated didn't have cars, but I had a good one, so it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, uh, he had been so instrumental, along with your mom, in helping us get our start as a family. Thank no you. question. We would not have been as far along, even as we were at that time, without their assistance. Right. And so... Uh, it, it was really important for me to go visit him and see him one last time, I thought, but it didn't turn out that way. Like six weeks later, he left the rehab facility. He went home uh -huh. and he lived for like another year, year and a half or something yeah. like that after that until finally, uh, you know, when he passed away, he was able to do it. I mean, he was just, I mean, he was like the, he, like Chuck Norris was the temp like he was the template for Chuck Norris. That's your dad. So <laughs> he's really a tough funny. guy, man. He's a tough, tough guy. That's really sweet. Everything you said about him. I mean, obviously I feel that way, but to hear it from you as a son-in-law, because we all know the in-law syndrome, yeah. they don't really care for their in-laws, you know, the, the married spouse. So I really appreciate those kind words, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but ultimately he passed away when he was 92. You were there. I was, I and was there. You had, everybody had sort of seen it coming at that point. Yeah. He was just honestly, it really honestly was just old age. There was no ailment. He just stopped eating and was sleeping more. And we called in hospice and they said, you have a few days. It was that quick. I talked to him on a Thursday. He died on Saturday. It was that quick. So uh, I, I got on a flight right away. Like when I talked to him and he was in bed, I was like, why are you laying down? Like, cause you would always be up watching TV. And then my mom said, he's not doing well. And that was it. Like I got on a flight the next, like the next morning, as soon as I could. And he died Saturday, I like Saturday at like two o'clock or something. Surrounded by family. Yeah. Uh, me and my brothers were all there. I was very fortunate. Okay. So fast forward after your father passed away, your mother lived by herself for about a year. It's true. And we all collectively, me and my brothers all agreed that it'd be so much better if she just lived with me in LA in the guest house. We had because, this guest house. Yeah, we already had the space. It was sitting empty. And why is she going to live alone? Now, my two brothers lived near my parents, both of them. One lived three blocks away and the other one lived like six blocks away. My one brother that lived six blocks away ended up moving. Like he moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And my other brother moved to the villages, which you all know if you've been listening. <laughs> so when my dad passed, my mom was really by herself. Uh, neither one of my brothers was living near her. I did hire somebody to take care of her and my dad when both of my brothers left. So I had a person that would drive them to their doctor's appointments, yeah. help, help them go to the grocery store because I obviously wasn't living in Florida. So my dad passed. I really wanted my mom to come live with me. Cut to my mom decided that she would do it. It took a little coaxing, but she moved in with me and lived with me for about five and a half years. And she brought about 10 rooms worth of stuff to put into a little 450 square foot guest house. Oh yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that is exactly what happened. And, uh, and she wanted to change everything around. Great, make it her own, perfect, whatever she wanted. So she lived with me for about five and a half years, like I said. And what ended up happening was um, 
she just thought that when she moved in with us, I would be hanging out with her more. Like she kind of forgot that I owned a business and that I, I had three kids and a husband who worked all the time. Uh, she didn't realize how busy my schedule was. I, I know she knew it, but I think what she thought was when she moved in, my schedule would change and it didn't. So she was just not happy living there because no matter how great the guest house was, and again, I hired someone to take her places when I couldn't be there. We had all kinds of people in and out of our house, nannies, tutors. They all gave her attention. They took her to Target whenever she wanted to go. Yeah. She just wanted my attention and she wasn't getting it. So she was complaining a lot to my brother that lived in the villages. So my brother- well, I also want to jump in real quick because there was also a situation where it was blissful for the first year or so, but then our kids went from elementary school age to middle school age, and we all know what terrors middle school kids could be, but our kids, whether or not they were necessarily terrors, the bottom line was they were more worried about their phone and their friends than they were about anybody in the family at that point. It's and so she did feel no, uh, even for whatever she was feeling with you, she felt it quadrupled because now the kids weren't paying attention to her either. It's true. And she was logical enough to know the kids are going to be kids. Like she would say to me, well, they're young, they're having fun. I know they're not going to want to sit with nanny anymore. So uh, being logical about it and having feelings about it are two different things. So for her, I just, she felt lonely is the, the truth. And no matter how many dinners we took her to or you know, how many lacrosse games we dragged her to or school functions, she still wanted to hang out with me every day. And I just couldn't give her that time. I, I wasn't retired. I was in my 40s. <laughs> I remember you were trying to patch her in on play dates and stuff like that. And she wasn't having any of that. No. She did not want to hang out with, nope. quote, old people. Yep. I would try to set her up with like someone else's mom. And she'd be like, no, she's 80. And I would say to her, well, you're 87. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, so what ended up happening? She moved in with my brother in Florida. She went back to Florida. That lasted about a year and a half. Oh, gosh, because she just wasn't happy there. So we had all decided collectively that maybe what she needed was her own apartment, like an assisted living apartment where it's her own space. It's a one bedroom apartment. You know, she comes and goes as she pleases, but there's other people around her own age and there are activities. It's not at all a nursing home in any sense of the word. It looked like the Four Seasons. It was a brand new facility. And, you know, Florida caters to people over 65. So it's not like anything you would ever see in most places. It really was a brand new build. It had a beauty salon. It had a little uh, like boutique in it. It was just so cute. And it was very reasonable. My mom could afford it with the income she had from my father's pension and her social security. I would have to chip in a little bit more just to make the difference. And I did not have a problem with that. Well, my mom saw it, came back home and told everybody that we were moving her into a nursing home. The tipping point for all this, though, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe she had had enough of living with your brother the day that he told her she could <laughs> not take a magnum of Bailey's Irish cream with her to the party they were about to go to. Yeah, he wanted her to take the little bottle because a magnum was too big. It was just a little house party. And she got so mad. She didn't go to the party. She called me and said, I don't know like who he thinks he is telling me I can't bring that magnum of Bailey's. And I had just said to her, I just think a smaller bottle is just more appropriate. And then she hung up on me. <laughs> oh, yep. And so what we weren't realizing, though. I mean, we just need to paint the picture of what a colorful woman your mother really is. Uh -huh. And so she's provided me with hours of entertainment over the last 20 some years. And to be fair, my brother did leave, went to the party, but then felt so bad. Ten minutes later, came back to get her. And I don't think she went. I know I, Ronnie's I, the same. I know. I don't think she went. I think she told him no, like even after he came back. Uh -huh. I can't remember. Yeah, but she dug in her heels. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> she was not going to that party now. If she couldn't take her, if she couldn't take her big jug of Bailey's with yeah, her, she, she wasn't going. going. Uh so I think at that point, what we all of us didn't realize though was that my mom was having onset dementia. And I think if all of us had known at the time that her complaining was more of a symptom of something bigger, we probably would have handled everything differently. So what ended up happening is she came back from the Four Seasons assisted living housing tour and called her granddaughter who lived in Colorado and said, they're putting me in a nursing home. So when anybody hears that, 
they immediately think of a state-run facility. They think of people being left to their own devices, nobody caring for them. Like, do you think the worst? But first of all, it wasn't even a nursing home because a nursing home is paid for by the state. Like, yeah. this was an independent living apartment. So she got my niece up in arms. So this is kind of where it gets a little Jerry Springer. <laughs> Because none of this is going to make sense. And most of the time, I lie about where my mom lives. Yeah. So turn the radio up because this is where it gets tricky. Okay. My I niece, just said radio like an old person. You, you said radio. But I they did. do listen to it through the radio. I know. Okay. Uh, or their headphones. Just turn your dial up. Okay. No. So my niece says to my nanny, well, says to her nanny, my mom, basically, I'm going to save you. I'm getting you out of there. I'm moving you to Colorado. I'm moving you to Colorado. My mom is 92. She's had three moves now in the past seven years. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's like. No, She's couch surfing. She is, except she has like the best of everything in every she house did. she goes to. She did. She lived with my brother and sister-in-law. My sister-in-law would cook her gourmet meals, keep them wrapped up in the refrigerator for her. If she like wanted to have lunch and my sister-in-law was out. I mean, she had. She had it way better there than she did with me and still True. wasn't happy. But that's okay. Okay, cut to my niece. Says, I'm going to take care of you, nanny. You're coming to Colorado. But my niece doesn't have a place for her. Like, she's promising something she can't even provide. So when she hangs up the phone and realizes, oh, I just promised nanny to come live with me, but I don't have a place to live. What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. So here's what she does. Keep Keep track. <laughs> <laughs> she calls my brother, not the brother in the villages, but my brother in Jacksonville. I'm going to say the names. I have my brother, Ron, who I live next door to. You've seen that episode. Yep. And then I have my brother, George, who lives in Jacksonville, Florida. You have not seen that episode. No. Brother George had a best friend named Rich. We, My mom has known him since he was 16 years old. From the old neighborhood in Chicago. Yeah. From the old neighborhood in Chicago. Right. Rich has a house in Colorado. My brother at one point moved to Colorado for a few years. And he and Rich, you know, continued their friendship from the neighborhood when they were 16. My brother moved back to Florida. Rich still lived in Colorado. My brother's daughter, Christy, who's my niece and my mom's granddaughter, the, the one savior. that's going to be the savior. Yeah. She realizes she has a place for my mom. So she calls Rich because she's very close. They call him Uncle Rich. She knows he has an empty room. Okay. This is just even talking about, this is why I lie to everybody and just say that my mom lives with my niece because this is where it gets crazy. It's usually a good idea to just say that. So she calls Uncle Rich and says, can you help me save my nanny from everyone? So Rich says, sure. I have an empty room. Your, your grandma can move in with me. I've taken care of old people in the past, which makes no sense to me how a man is taking care of old people in the past, but whatever. I guess he's an expert at it. So, okay. Yeah. So also there's another person that lives in Rich's house. Another component. That pays rent there. Rich has a three bedroom. He has a bedroom that's empty for my mom. Then he has a second bedroom that's being rented. That room is being rented by. Your ex-sister-in-law. George's ex-wife. But they're not a couple. So Rich and Sally are not a couple. Sally just rents a room from Rich, who was her ex-husband, still is, her ex-husband's best friend. Okay, so let me jump in real quick and just do a quick summary because this is turning into Game of Thrones. Got All it. right? So you have a brother named George who had lived in Colorado for a while and was living in Jacksonville. His old buddy and his ex-wife were both living in Colorado together, and your niece decided, well, I'm gonna save Nanny, your mother, by driving her to Colorado and putting her in Richie and Sally's care. Exactly. So she saved her by just getting her there. And having someone else And take then care going of back to her own house. Yeah, having someone else take care right, of her. Right. Yeah, there you have it. The reason why I never really say where my mom lives is because it's quite complicated. So I just tell everyone my mom lives with my niece when in reality she lives with my brother's best friend and his ex-wife. So when this all, so when my mom called me and said, I'm moving to Colorado, it was like, oh, 
I what? was, I was, no, Everyone, I was not feeling no, it. I every, remember I told you I had a problem with it. I was like, this is a mistake. This is a mistake. This everybody, is a huge mistake. No, everybody, my cousin, my cousin's husband, yes. um, everybody was calling me saying she cannot go. He's a stranger. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. I mean, he's Richie from the old neighborhood, but, but at the same time, it's just, it's like, really, this is how you want to like ride off into the sunset. Yeah. It was like, and I had no wherewithal. I couldn't fight her. Like I had already heard of for a year and a half, her complaining about my brother. She had been complaining about me for five and a half years. True. I just said, go. I literally said, go. My brother said to me, I'm going to stop her. And I'm like, no, no, you're not going to stop her. Let her go. She thinks it's going to be so much better there. Let her go. So they pull up in an RV because yeah. they drove from Colorado. They load up her stuff in an RV and they take her back to Colorado Springs. So the first- It's like this movie I saw. I think it's uh, Vacation. It's like if you squashed all the vacation movies together, you have Randy Quaid in the RV, you have grandma on the top of the car, all that stuff. No, the movie reminds me of his Groundhog's Day. Oh, why Groundhog's Day? It's the same happening over and over again. <laughs> what, it's with her a, wanting to move everywhere? Yes, oh, it's okay, the same it. thing over okay. and over again. No, this is Groundhog's Day. So I follow. I said, go. I said, go be happy. And she was. Like, for the first six months, oh, like, they could do no wrong. I mean, she loved living there. Now, she didn't have her own bathroom like she did with us. She didn't have her own space. She doesn't even have a door in her bedroom. They use a curtain. But, man, they have a really fun time. They drink at night. I was going to say, but she can drink Bailey's Irish Cream she can, well, as she much as she wants. She's drinking like gin and tonics now. So, yeah, so she's, she's drink, back on the hard stuff. She's drinking at night. She's going out to the bars with them. She's going out for pizza. She's having the best time because, you know, as fun as we are, we're not going to let her drink all the time. Like, we're going to be more um, careful about her. Her children were not there to parent her. Thank you. Okay. So, she's having the time of her life the first six months. But then, like everything, she starts running into problems. And she starts complaining about them, complaining and asking everyone in the family to come pick her up. Like she's at day camp. She's yeah. like, come get me right now. You no, know this isn't working out. I want to come home. Yeah. Now we were only six months uh, free of her complaining and nobody was willing to give that up. I have to tell you, nobody. We all said, no, this is what you chose. You're staying put. Like this is just how it's going to be. Okay, so cut to, though, she's been there for five years, and probably two years ago was the pinnacle of the complaining. Like, nobody could handle it at this point. Nobody. Mm -hmm. So we had, like, a round table. My brother, Ron, who is Jesus, wanted to take her back, and I said, you can't. I said, it was so hard on you, you know, that we all agreed she should be in an assisted living apartment. You can't take her back. Yeah, they experienced a lot of duress in the year and a half she was there. I wasn't willing to take her back. I had been five and a half years with her. I was, I still had PTSD. I was not going <laughs> to take her back. So my brother George said from the onset, he's never taking her. So at that point, it was, let's look at apartments in Colorado Springs for her assisted living. That kind of got pushed to the back burner. Oh, and by the way, my niece, the one who brought her, had no interest in taking my mom, even though, you know, we needed someone to help us. She was out. She was like not even on the phone call. So she was like, I'm not having any of this. So she ended up staying with Rich and Sally. And um, it was hard. It was very, very hard for them because she's very argumentative. And we were all grateful. I mean, we really were because we weren't willing to do it. So it. They really did. I mean, in fairness to them, they did take care of her the way they said they were going to take care they of her. They did. And 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 Sally didn't sign up for it. My heart is always saddened for her because she has now had to take care of my mom. So as siblings, we've all tried to um, help in any way we can. You know, we pay Sally. My mom obviously pays rent there. We pay for our food. We're always trying to to have them go out to dinners. Like we're trying to make it as easy as possible. We have offered several times to have in-home health care come just to help. But as of two years ago, my mom was is very mobile. Even now in 97, she's very mobile. So they always would reject the care that we wanted to provide for them, not even for my mom, yeah. just for them. So here we are about two months ago. Let's cut back. 
I saw my mom in 2021. When she left, she had been gone for a year or so, maybe two years at that point. I'd seen her one other time before the pandemic. And then I saw her in 2021. I just like was not happy with her. I'm not going to lie. Um, I wasn't happy with the decision that she made to move to Colorado. I wasn't happy with where she was living. You meaning, weren't even happy with the decision she made to leave California. Oh, not at all. I was still so bitter about yeah, that. You, you were, you so, were still very upset. When I saw her in 2021, she was 95. And I said to everyone in my family, I'm never coming back here again. I'm never coming back here. She, she made everything so difficult. Like if she were just with me, it would have been so easy for her and for me because she was still complaining as of two years ago. She was still not happy living there. But I was, I was, it was, it was a pandemic. I wasn't moving her in 2021. I just wasn't doing it. I had a kid that was going to be graduating. Like there were, I was like, you know what? I was just kind of mad. I mean, that's the truth. I was like, you chose this, you stay here. I think that's fair. And so I had a hissy fit for like two years. I really did. Like I didn't call her much. I was mad at everybody about the situation. Actually, I was really mad at her mostly. But what I didn't understand was that she really was had dementia. And if I had known that at the time, I think a doctor told me one time, but if I'd really listened because I wasn't in, I didn't believe it, I wouldn't have been mad at her. I would have understood she was making a poor decision, not knowing she was making a poor decision. So I don't know, like two months ago, I just woke up one day and decided not to be mad anymore. I'm like, she's 97. Like, I'm not, I, I, I have to go visit her because I hadn't visited her since 2021. So I planned a trip. It was very spontaneous. I woke up on a Monday and I'm like, I'm going to go on Thursday. Then I get a call on Wednesday night from Rich and Sally, who are her caregivers, because I'm just at this point, I'm going to call them. It's not the best friend and the ex-daughter-in-law. It's their caregivers. Yeah that she's not doing well. And they're explaining to me how she's sleeping more and not eating this and that. So I immediately call hospice and say to them, I think we need someone to evaluate my mom. They were very good about taking my mom to the doctors and doctor's appointments. And she had just been to the doctor like 30 days prior and she wasn't with a walker or anything like that. But she definitely was showing signs of, I don't know if it's ailing or what's the proper word, but she was showing signs that maybe the end is near. So I immediately called hospice. They came in and evaluated her. And sure enough, we were told we have a couple of months with her. Well, you know, that could mean really just two days. I mean, honestly. So I get to Colorado, what I think is going to be just a visit to see my mom. And then I'm realizing, okay, I may just have a few days with her. It was really hard because of the turmoil I had inside for the issues I had with her mm -hmm. and then to see her, I mean, she didn't, she, she, she saw me and she just said, Oh, you're so pretty, but she didn't really know who I was. And we would talk and she sometimes would think I was Parker or sometimes she would think I was Denise. Sometimes she would just think I was a friend visiting. So, it was so hard to see her like that because I hadn't seen her since 2021. And two years in a person's life in their 90s is dramatic. I mean, dramatic. So two years ago, she was mobile and knew exactly who I was and this and that. And now she didn't know who I was. So I spent a week with her in Colorado and just prepared myself for what could what could happen. What I can tell you about this is that Everyone in the family needs to be on the same page about the level of care and what's going to happen with your parents. Because your family members will tell you exactly who they are on this road, on this path that you're on, because it's going to be a short mm. path. They're going to tell you, you have to listen to them. So if you have a sister who says, I'm not dealing with this, she really means it. Do not think that she's going to come around and help you because she is not. If you have a brother who says, look, I may come see her once in a while, but I'm really busy. He's really just going to come and see her once in a while. Like don't expect things from people when they tell you exactly what they're going to do. This is the best advice I can give you because you 
will be so disappointed. And then you're going to have resentment for a person that you shouldn't have resentment for because they already told you what they were going to do and how they were going to behave. So the three of us are all different, although two are a little more similar. So my brother George, right out of the onset, he's the one with the daughter who said, Nanny, I'm going to save you. He has said from the beginning, I will not be taking care of mom. From the beginning. He said this 10 years ago. He said, I don't have the wherewithal, I don't have the patience, and I don't expect my wife to do it. I actually applaud him for that because there are so many men that would make their wives take care of their parents. And I think that's really unfair mm. to the partner. I would not, I, I applaud my brother for saying that. I would not want my sister-in-law, Halda, to take care of my mom. It's not her mom. Like, it's not her responsibility. My brother did a lot for my parents when they were alive. He was, in so many ways, their go-to person when things broke, when yeah. they needed to go somewhere. He did his time with them. Like, he really did. And he was such a good son to them when they were active, mobile, and needed him. He's not equipped to handle this. But he did all the things I couldn't do. He was doing things for my parents when I was in college, when I was getting married, when I was buying a new home, when I was starting a family. He was there. I couldn't be there. So I have to look at it in that fashion. Like he was not a deadbeat son or a deadbeat brother. He was he was really very engaged with them. And so I have to say he's not prepared for this and that's okay. My other brother, Ron, was very similar to George. He was always there for my parents as well, always, whatever they needed. So my parents had two people to rely on. If my brother George wasn't around, then Ron would help them. If Ron mm -hmm. wasn't around, George would help them. They were very lucky. So I also feel, even though my brother Ron and his wife Vicky are more equipped to take care of my mom at this age, I don't think they should do it. I just don't. It's They've already done this. Like They helped my parents move from one house to another. Yeah, they're, they're the, they were the ones that lived a block away for decades. Right. So they've done their time. And they did it when I, again, was raising a family in college, like, you know, buying a house, like, they shouldn't do it again. It's my turn. It's my turn. And so you have to listen to what everyone says because it's very easy for me to get mad at my brother, George. It would be very easy to get mad at him. But I'm not mad at him. I'm grateful for the fact that when I do go to visit Colorado, he has a beautiful home. He lets me and my mom stay there. He's very helpful when I'm there. Yeah. My sister-in-law, Hald, is very helpful. I'll go for maybe a run in the morning and she will get my mom's breakfast ready and this and that. I'm grateful to have that. Like there are some, you know, he he could have said no to that. Or there are some people who don't have that, whose, whose siblings are like, yeah, no, you can't come here. Like I'm busy. I've got work to do. I'm, I don't have that with him. So I'm very grateful for that. I also would say everyone needs to have a discussion about what kind of care everyone wants for that parent. So James and I are of working age. He makes a good income. I always made a good income. Both of my brothers are retired. Mm -hmm. I am very aware that they have limited funds. Mm -hmm. I'm, But we are all on the same page about the level of care we want from my mom. So I have been always the one to spearhead this conversation. But they've never once said, no, I can't do that. I can't afford that. So I'm very, very lucky. But I take on, usually I try to, 75% of the financial burden because they're retired. So you can't go into a situation like this and have two people in the family that are retired and then expect them to pay like half. Like it's so unfair. And then, and then they're going to say, no, they can't afford it. And then you're going to get mad. So if you're going to broach this subject and you're going to expect a certain level of care, like you're going to pay for a certain level of care, I could easily have problems with my brothers if I went into the situation saying, well, you have to pay half of this. Does this make any sense? Absolutely. There are plenty of people in the United States, and we're going to talk about different cultures and how they handle their elderly in a minute. But there are plenty of people in the United States that are like, you know what? I can't deal with this. I have kids or I'll cut you a check for this much every month. Make this problem go away. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, and that's that. kind of, yeah. So what you're saying makes absolute sense. I think your situation, frankly, is a little unique because you've had your siblings pitch in during their eras. 
They did. They, in different eras. And even now, everybody pitches in financially. Mm -hmm. And so there is a- Even when I say I'll take, because right now where we are is we're, we're, we're going to get, we're, we're talking about in-home healthcare for my mother. And somebody I, to attend to her more often than- Than to help Sally and Rich. Yeah, like- so. Daily. Daily, right. Like four to five hours a day, probably five days a week. So I've researched it and I'm going to go over those numbers with you. And I have said, I'll take on 75% of this and their 25% they could split each. And they both came back and said, no, that's too little. But I am, I'm, I was willing to do that. And I, I think that that's just and they're willing to do it. And that's my point. My point is there are so many families where one person gets stuck doing it their entire lives. I know it's very hard, but then I, my suggestion would be that person that's getting stuck doing it, they have to make the hard decisions and then nobody gets a say. That's true. Yeah. I would, I would definitely say, um, in, you know, in fairness and in, in, in deference to that person there, they should be the one calling the shots. It's really easy for you to, uh, express your opinion from afar or yep. when you're removed from the situation. And so, I mean, um, I remember in my twenties, I was friends with a girl whose mom died of cancer and her brother was a drug addict and she did all the driving to her mom's chemo, um, her chemo appointments. And she was the one who took care of her mom. She was the one holding her mom's hand when she died and her brother was off, you know, getting high somewhere. And, she talked about that and she talked about how they had to, and her mom was very wealthy. They split it equally. I think it's very hard, but in the end she got the best time with her mother. Yeah. And it's like, I think you just have to look at that. I mean, otherwise, I, I would certainly choose half the pot and not being addicted. So, you know, agreed. in that particular example, agreed, but it does, um, the amount of work somebody has to do for the ailing parent, can cause so much resentment. So you have to go in being okay with it. You just have to. Like, no. you can't go in saying, <clears throat> I'm gonna do this, but you know, Robert will help out or John will help out. No, no, if they told you they're not gonna help out, chances are you're going in it alone and don't, don't pretend it's something else. Okay, so moving forward, what happens now? Okay, so right now I want to be with my mom. So, I've got to figure this out. I don't know what that looks like, but I know I want to be the one that takes care of her in her final months. And this is my responsibility to figure out. I'm, I'm the one who has decided to do this. But here's what I do know because I'm not a professional caregiver. I'm going to hire somebody in the house to help me because I know I can't do it all alone. And here's what I found out about getting in-home health care. I know it differs from state to state, but having a look into it, I've learned a little bit. So... In-home health care can range anywhere from $35 to $50, depending on the level of care that you're requiring this person to do for you. In my case, I would really just want someone to be there to help me, like get her ready for bed, I'm thinking, or if I'm preparing dinner, they're, they're sitting with her. So okay. if I wanted somebody, let's just say three days a week at, I'm going to say $35 an hour, let's just say four hours a day. So that's going to make that cost out of pocket $420 a week. And that would be $1,600 a month. So that's hefty for, for three days a week. That's not covered by insurance. That's not covered by Medicaid. That is an out-of-pocket expense. So if your parent is well enough to get around, but you need an extra helping hand um, in the house, that's how much it's going to cost. Now, if you have the means and can pay for a full-time facility that isn't run by the government, a Medicaid. So you wanna go with a private facility. Those can range anywhere from 4,000 to 16,000, 16,000 a month. Wow. If you don't come for money, your parent does, doesn't have money, then you have to have your parent on Medicaid. And this is how Medicaid works. Every state, again, is different, but you have to only make a certain amount of money to be on Medicaid. So let's say you make $4,000 a month. Your Medicaid is too much because in most states it's 2,700. So if between your pension 
and your social security, you're making $4,000 a month. You are not going to be able to get into a government run facility. You won't because be eligible. You will not be eligible. So where wow, does that so the leave cutoff you? is normally $2,700 around that. Okay. So because you have to think about it this way, if you have money, then the government's not going to give it to you for free. People don't understand this. They, they hoot and holler. They get all upset. You know, I can't get my mom in this facility. She makes too much money. Well, it's free. The facility is free. So if you have money and you've crossed that threshold, or your parent has money, they're not going to give it to you. You have to come together as a family and talk about what you're going to do. But the first conversation you should have before any of this is to talk to your parents about what do they have in place. My mom, her plan was me. I was her plan. Other people, their parents have money in the bank or they have a, you can buy an insurance policy that will provide for long-term care providers to come into your house. I can't remember the name of it, but it's quite expensive and it kicks in when you're no longer able to take care of yourself and it provides care in your home, private care. So you have to discuss this with your parents to know what you have in your future. It's a discussion everyone should have. I mean, my parents were older, so we always talked about it. It was, we'd have it at the dinner table. Like my mom would be like, you know, the funeral arrangements are up on the right drawer. She would bring it up in the middle of a good time. Yeah, always. I remember. You know, I paid for my plot. You know, blah, blah, blah. You shouldn't have to pay for anything. So um, it's important. I cannot stress this enough. Like, what are your parents' plans? Do you know them? I always knew what my parents' plans were. Oh. I always knew that they had everything prepaid, but that I basically was going to be, per, you know, the one taking care of them uh, as they got older. What do you know about that for yourself? Like, who's taking care of your parents? Like, maybe they've got money in the bank that you don't even realize they have that they already plan on having their care provided for. You have to talk about this. I cannot stress this enough. Yeah, you, you have definitely to. have to cross cross the divide and have that difficult conversation for sure. And have it with your siblings. I mean, really have it with your siblings because if you're talking to your sister, you know, I don't know, Shirley, and she's telling you that, you know, her and her husband are going to like sell their house and travel because you think Shirley's going to always live in the neighborhood with you and take care of mom and dad. And she tells you something you weren't aware of okay, you need to pivot. You need to figure out who's going to take care of mom and dad. How is Shirley going to do it from afar? So what's happening in the coming weeks is basically you're going to be going to Colorado and you're going to be figuring out a way to get your mom to be with us. Yeah, I've made a couple trips to Colorado and um, I just feel like it's, I want to be the one with her. Yeah. Well, I think it raises an important point. Like, the you know, you're talking about uh, a, somebody who's, you know, mother or father has an income of 4,000 and they're priced out of Medicaid. But then you also just said that, you know, the, the common price, the entry level price for a lot of these homes is $4,000. So that's exactly the same amount. There's no money left for anything else. Not at all. You can't buy, you can't even buy like, you know, little Timmy, a birthday card and send $5. You have nothing left over. If no. you're making that kind and of money. That was the issue that we had discussed when we were looking at that apartment for my mom. She, she made just enough to go there. We would have to provide her spending money and she was not going to allow that. So that was another impetus of why she didn't want to go. Yeah. Well, it brings up an important issue. And I think, you know, like I'm a huge fan of capitalism, but at the same time, I do think that there's a mentality in America, unfortunately, a lot nowadays where it's kind of every man for themselves. Oh. You can sort of judge a culture by how well they take care of their infirm or their elderly or even their young, but infirm specifically in this country with mental health issues. Let's start there. But we're also talking about our elderly and the type of care that they get in a Medicaid run facility. I mean, come on, that's, mm -hmm. I would say it falls far short of the status of what we would call dignified, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's just the only thing people have. So let's talk about how some other cultures around the world handle this. OK, mm -hmm. the first two that I really want to mention, are the first one specifically is China. There's an elderly rights law in China. Did you know this? That uh, children are required to visit their parents, visit them, their elderly parents, or they could face jail time. Oh, wow. I'm not kind of, you know, 
I didn't really see face I mean, I know time, China's like, like really authoritarian and they love to throw people in jail. <laughs> like in, in our perspective, we think of this. But I'm not so, so surprised because that culture, their parents always live with them. I mean, they old people and, and young people are mixed together in families quite, quite often. Quite often. But if you're a worker in a city and your elderly parents are living in a rural environment, some village where you oh, grew up. That's hard. It, you are still required to go back there and check on them. Now, we're talking about China, which everybody, I think, would agree is kind of an authoritarian state. I know. But on the flip side, you have France, which is actually, you know, reputedly a very liberal sort of environment. Even their conservatives are more liberal than yeah. our, our democratic it's moderates true. here. Um, in France, there's a similar law that was written into the books and it happened after a 2004 study showed that the vast majority of their suicides at that time were elderly people. Yeah. And uh, remember, they also had a heat wave. And in that heat wave, a tremendous amount of the people who perished, perished during that heat wave were elderly people. Aww. So now there's a requirement for the French to actually, quote, check in with their parents. It's a good idea. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I really now, do. Uh, one story I read recently is in Japan, when you reach your 60th birthday in Japan, it's a big deal. Like it is basically the quinceanera of old age in Japan. When you hit your 60th birthday, they throw you a huge party. You've entered old age. Okay. That is not what I thought you were going to say. Oh, no. that's incredible. I want a quinceanera. Let's do a quinceanera for you. Let's do, you're going to hit 60 before me. We'll do it together. Oh, okay. I'm not ready to turn 60 anytime soon. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. I know. It's kind of a different way of looking at age. No, and that's fantastic. We're doing that. And in Japan, I read a story recently, and this is probably what you know. Wait, what hold we're on. Talking Can about. I get a Kinsinera dress? Like, sure. I want to get like a purple. Buy a dress. Fluffy. Like, Put the lipstick all over. Oh, I'm doing it. Do okay. it. Get the hair did. Can we do a dance? Uh, you can do a dance. Oh, you mean like a ball? Like a quinceanera dance. Every quinceanera has a dance. Oh. Like where the kids come and they all dance together. So we'll have our 60-year-old friends come dance with us and we'll do a quince a quince dance. All right, you're going to have to get Mia to choreograph it because I'm not paying for that. Oh, okay, go ahead. Anyway, uh, also in Japan, there is a restaurant. I just read this in a recent article. I think you read this article as well. There is a restaurant that is called the Restaurant of Mistaken Orders, where all of the waiters and waitresses are dementia patients. I saw this. It's the, the cutest thing. The photo is so sweet on this article. And it says a lot about how the Japanese keep the elderly and infirm ingrained in the culture. And it actually, the restaurant is booked out because what happens is people go, they sit down, they order, and their waiter or waitress has dementia and they never know what they're gonna get on the table. And so there's sweet. a mystery surrounding what they order, but then there's also such a sweetness there that they keep elderly people involved in the society and they keep people mindful of that these are still human beings, they, they were still huge. They still made huge contributions to our local community, our society, the culture at large, their entire lives. Yeah. And we can't, like we do in some cultures, we can't just discard them. I know. It's really sweet. It like makes me all teary eyed because when I read it, I just thought of my mom, like, yeah. honestly, like, because when you're talking with someone who has dementia, depending on where they are and what kind of dementia they have, they're like, my mom isn't argumentative anymore. She doesn't complain. It's like, no. she's like the best version of herself. So when I read this article, I just thought about her. It's really sweet. That's just a consideration. I think that as Americans, we need to think about there's a better way to handle our elderly. I wish they had high school courses on this. I really do. It's, like, you know, high school just, I don't know. Like, what would it be? how to be a human to someone who's elderly. Like, I don't know. It's basic it's like decency. And I think that somehow along the way, we've sort of lost that component and the value that the elderly have given to our communities. Yeah. You know, you know, I also have to say, if your parent wasn't a good parent, don't feel guilty about not giving them care. 
Because there are some people out there that don't deserve it. Like, I mean, that's the one thing. Like, I'm talking about my relationship with my parents because they were um, great parents. But if your parent wasn't good to you or they were not nice to you growing up, like, you know what? That's a different scenario. So don't listen to this and think like, oh, I should be doing this with my parent, but my parent didn't do this for me. I mean, I say you have to obviously tailor it to your family, to the love your parent gave you. I don't know. I just, I, I always say whenever I hear somebody like, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm older now. I'm hearing older stories. I'm hearing about older people and I'm meeting people who work at convalescent centers. And sometimes you hear the story of like, you know, the guy who like hasn't had one visitor all year. Well, there's a reason for that. Often. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, every situation is different. Right. So I don't, I, if anything, this was meant to give you help and a little bit of ideas of, you know, the path that I'm on right now, the choices I've made, but in no way do I want anyone ever to feel guilty about the choices that they're making. You're all, you're making it for your own reason. We're just here to share what's going on in our lives right now at this moment and the choices that we are making. Yeah, I'm happy that you spoke about it today because it impacts a lot of things. It impacts our travel schedule, it impacts our show, and it impacts sort of what people are gonna know about you in the coming months. You know what? I didn't mind talking about it. I normally don't like to talk about it, but I'm actually really glad that I did. And I, I think that maybe something I shared will resonate with somebody else. It's not always just about like good food and hotel stays and real estate prices. I mean, we are two people who have other things going on in our lives. So this is just, I think, a, a glimpse into what is happening. It's an important discussion. Agreed. Thank you. And thanks for all your support. You've been very, very helpful during this time. So I appreciate it. No worries. Take them out. Empty nest, full tank. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys.